Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting. I'm Jeff Shackman. For those of you of a certain age, you may remember the show or the movie of Car 54. The show opens as all hell breaks loose. There's a holdup in the Bronx. Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child. Khrushchev's a do at Idlewild. Car 54, where are you? Today, the country is in very much the same state. Election rhetoric has sunk to the basest of name-calling. There's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Partisanship is more bitter than ever. We can't agree on simple protection for gun owners. Terrorism fears are growing. Refugees are looking for homes. Social issues are back in the headlines. Car 54, where are you? We're going to talk about where we are as a country in this portion of our program today, as it is my pleasure to be joined live in studio today by Congressman Mike Thompson. Mike, thanks so much for coming in. Jeff, thank you. It's great to be here. It's good to have you here. As we look around the country today, it's a little like uh, New York in Car 54. Wherever you look, there's uh, not good things going on. There's a lot going on. There's some huge challenges, uh, as you stated in your introduction, that uh, the country is not only Congress, but the country is divided. And uh, we need to get it together or we're not going to get ahead of the curve. You've been looking at this stuff a long time and in California as a member of the legislature in Congress for many years. Have you seen it this bad before? I haven't. Uh, and as you know, we've had this discussion right. a lot. Uh, I was taken aback when I first got to Washington after first being elected. And um, I, I couldn't believe how difficult it was to get anything done. Some of the uh, so-called older people who were there, I remember Jerry Lewis, a California, fellow Californian who'd been there a long time. He, he told me, he said, yeah, he said, this is a peculiar place. He said, uh, you can have the best idea in, in town. He said, if it goes anywhere, it's because somebody older than you took it away from you. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, my friend George Miller, when I started working on the gun violence prevention stuff, he warned me, he said, remember, Washington is the place where good ideas can easily come to die. So uh, it's, it's always been a challenge, but it's worse now than when I first got there. And, and I would not have thought that it could have gotten uh, any worse. Uh, back 18 years ago. And what's also worse is the divide seems larger, even among people, and we'll talk about some of the crazy rhetoric in a minute, but even among people that are seemingly well-meaning, the divide has gotten so much larger. Yeah, the country's divided, as I, as I said. Uh, you can see it. You can look at the proverbial red and blue map, and you can see uh, where people live. You know, people, people tend to live uh, near and around people with uh, similar beliefs and, and, and attitudes, and it's, uh, it's become real evidence. There's some things that have uh, contributed to it that I, I think if, it, if you were able to change that, it would make a difference. Certainly campaign contributions uh, is, is a huge issue. Redistricting is a huge issue. And uh, there are some of the states, uh, predominantly southern states, that have been egregious in the way that they've drawn their maps. And that's, that's put a big dent uh, in any effort that we make to try and come together on issues. What that also means is that particularly as it relates to Congress, as you look at it in, in being part of a minority party right now, that the odds of that changing before 2022 with the earliest are, are basically non-existent. Yeah, slim slim to none. You know, the other thing is the, um, and uh, not your radio show, <laughs> uh, but you know there, there are a lot right. of the so-called talking heads that uh, – 
you know, they cater to a, a particular vein of unrest, and they really fl- uh, fan the flames of uh, of uh, the disgruntled folks out there. I don't think that helps at all. And then there's also kind of a self-promotion amongst the talking heads. Uh, you know, the— Who could the, be this, more outrageous. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and that and— uh, look at this presidential election. You know the the pundits were the ones that were driving a lot of those uh, a lot of the early movement in uh, in some of these primaries. And how are you seeing this play out locally? You've been in the district. We were talking before we started. You've been here doing a lot of stuff just over the past few days in the district. How are you seeing this reflected in the communities that are part of your district? First of all, yeah, I'm I'm pretty fortunate. Uh, I whenever I come home, and as you know, I come home every weekend during the district work periods. I'm here. I'm I'm out in some part of our district uh, whenever Congress isn't in in session, and and I'm pretty fortunate. I've got a great district. The the constituents here are wonderful, and uh, I I just really enjoy working with them. And I hear time and time again, uh, you know, how do you do it? <laughs> It's got to be tough. Thanks for doing it. I know how tough it is. And, and then there's the other side. There's the, the proverbial critics that, you know, if, if I were to walk across uh, Lake Berryessa, uh, they would say that I don't know how to swim. So mm-hmm. you're always going to get that. But uh, it goes with the territory. How many different districts? I, I've sort of lost track. How many different districts have you had since being a member of Congress? Well, let's see. I was elected to one in the Senate when I started. Then I was redistricted uh, into another one, and that changed. Uh, that changed once while I was there. So that's three. And then I was. I went to Congress. Uh, that would be a fourth district, and that was redistricted twice. Nice. Uh, and I think at the third time. So it's been uh, seven different districts. How difficult is that part of the process for for you? I mean, for any member of Congress. I mean, you talk to your colleagues, obviously, but talk about it from your perspective. Breaking well, in a new district, essentially. Yeah, it's and it's a challenge. Uh, this last congressional redistricting changed my district by seventy five percent. So only twenty five percent of my previous district stayed with it so 75 percent was new now that that's a that's a big hill to climb uh, i was fortunate because many of the areas uh that were in the 75 percent new part of, of the district i had represented before right. when i was in the state legislature uh, i remember uh, right after redistricting and i was out uh, going to all the different communities meeting with people and Vallejo had a welcome home party for me, and that was really nice uh, to you know to have that experience. The uh, Santa Rosa Press Democrat, which I, I rep- I've always represented part of Sonoma County, uh, but for my time in Congress, I never represented Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. I had in the state Senate. And they wrote a very nice editorial uh, in that during that election. And basically, what they said, and then I talked to them about it. I, I thanked them for it. It was uh, it was it was a, a wonderful uh, editorial. I had to check it to make sure they were talking about me. <laughs> and um, and they said, well, you know, you, you've represented this area before, and even when you didn't represent Santa Rosa, you still worked with people in Santa Rosa, and you still represented the whole county. And things a lot, there's a lot of new people. Uh, in town since you last represented it. And we wanted people to know that even if they don't know you, you know them. 
So that was pretty doggone nice. And uh, so I, I've had, you know, a relatively easy time uh, with the redistrict. And the, the big one was when they changed my first Senate district and moved uh, me a big chunk. 50, 49% of the district was in that, in that first district was in the Sacramento Valley. Mm, and, wow. and, and they jettisoned all of that and flopped me over uh, to the coast. To the coast. And uh, I went all the way up to the Oregon border. And that was an area that, uh, you know, I've with my parents when I was a little kid we used to go up to the coast and stay at the Little River Inn back when it was uh, not quite the Little River Inn that it is today, <laughs> it is today. <laughs> and we'd stay next door at, at uh, Van Dam State Park we'd uh, we'd uh, rent a, a, a trailer and tow it up there and, and stay for uh, vacations and that was my really my only exposure to the coast so I had to get up there and learn those issues and meet people and and uh, figure all that out so it's, that was it's the most scenic district when it was California oh, one <laughs> incredible scenic district yeah from the Oregon border all right. the way down to the coast and it turned inland in uh, Mendocino, Mendocino and the northern part of Sonoma County turned inland to uh, Lake and, and Napa and Yolo County. Bringing that to, to the broader issue of the divide and the problems talk a little bit about the frustration representing all these good people all these districts all the work that you put in in the district and, and representing them in a in an institution that barely functions and the frustration that, that goes with that i mean and certainly this year with the divide that we talked about before an election year to boot i mean what if anything is going to get done yeah i think this year is going to be it's going to be near impossible to do anything just because of the two issues that you mentioned, uh, the divided Congress and the election year, but add to that now a vacancy on the United States Supreme right. Court. Uh, it's going to really, um, really muddy things up. The frustration is is very real, and I look at two issues as, as examples as it affects me, my legislative agenda, and the people and places that I represent. Uh, one is a, a bill that I'm working on on behalf of uh, locals in our area. Uh, who are not pleased with the way uh, the Bureau of Reclamation has run uh, Lake Berryessa. And uh, we're trying to change that and, and give that responsibility over to the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, Bureau of Reclamation, they do water distribution. They run that stuff, and I'm assuming they do a fine job with that. They don't do recreation. And the right. big rub at Lake Berryessa is the way the recreation has been handled, not only now, uh, but uh, in, in the past. And, you know, I have a bill with almost 200 bipartisan co-authors on that bill. It's the second time that I've uh, introduced it. And it's... You know, it's just up against that uh, partisan buzzsaw. Uh, I'm a Democrat. Uh, there's a, the Republican who chairs that subcommittee and the Natural Resources Committee uh, is polar opposite of me. And it's very, very difficult to get that done. And, and then you look at a broader issue, and it's an issue that you mentioned earlier, and that's gun violence prevention. You know, I have, a again, I have a bill. We have nearly 190 co-authors on the bill, bipartisan, 93% of the American people support it, and yet uh, this Congress will not take it up for an up or down vote. So it's, it is very uh, frustrating. The, the 
thing you have to make sure, at least the thing that, that I have to make sure happens with me, is that uh, I don't lose my focus and I don't uh, lose my hope. Because if that were to happen, it would be very miserable. So that I'm the you know, proverbial uh, uh, eternal optimist and I just keep working away. And, and the truth is you can get things done. You know, you, you know uh, what I was able to do when George Bush was the president mm-hmm. and the Republicans were in control of the House. I got a, a wilderness protection bill that uh, protected 350,000 acres uh, in our district. And it was uh, passed out of Richard Pombo's Natural Resources Committee. Uh, Richard Pombo, someone who has no use for uh, government ownership of any <laughs> right. land, and signed by uh, by President Bush. And I, you know, I look at that as, as kind of a guiding light, an example how uh, notwithstanding uh, all the nonsense, we can get some things done. I just had another uh, big wilderness uh, milestone last year and uh, uh we had to go we had to bypass the legislature uh, uh, legislature and uh congress and go uh through the executive branch but again protecting 300,000 acres in uh one of my old districts a little bit of my current <laughs> uh current district and and i get you know i get um I get successes. I have successes uh, uh, fairly regularly. I've got uh, on my wall in, in my Washington office, I have framed all the bills that I've had passed into law, and I have a ton of them. And uh, not not save the world bills, uh, but uh, but bills that really help people. A good example, just uh, here just not too long ago, I had signed into law a bill uh, that I authored uh, that extended a provision in uh, the Affordable Care Act to allow doctors to make house calls. Saves not a lot, about $25 million a year, uh, but helps people, helps uh, helps seriously ill Medicare folks, uh, allowing the doctor to come to them and to do a house call rather than them having to go into the doctor. So wildly uh, successful program, uh, very much appreciated by both the doc side of the, of the mix and the patient side of the mix. Has Speaker Ryan made any difference? Well, I think the jury's still out, um, and and, and I've, I think I've told you this privately. Uh, uh, Speaker Ryan and I were, were in the same class. We came to Washington together. Uh, we uh, served together in the Sportsman's Caucus, and we're friends. Uh, we uh, we work out. We have the same workout schedule in the gym in the morning. Uh, I'm 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 a five thirty. He's a six o'clock. But, you don't sleep in the office. I do not sleep in my office. <laughs> I, just I don't, sleep, I don't sleep in my office, and I'm still there a half an hour before him. But I see him uh, every day and there's uh, one every Thursday he and I do a class together a fitness class together and uh, we talk we're friends Uh, I don't agree with him politically but I I believe that what he does he does for the right reasons you know he believes in the country he wants to make the country a, a better place and even though he's far further right uh, than I uh, would ever be, uh, he still has a problem with his right wing. So that's why I say the jury's still out. It'll be interesting to see uh, if he's able to keep them in check or he's going to get Boehnard. And, uh, you know, Boehner was was, uh, listed as like the fifth most conservative person in the country uh, when he became speaker. And, you know, three days later they were calling him uh, Republican in name only. And, uh, and, And in finally kicked him out. So that's a hard group uh, that they have over on their side. And it's going to take a very special person to be able to corral them, if you will, and get them to uh, work uh, for the better, uh, better of the country. 
The biggest thing he always seems to have going for him is that this sense that he doesn't care, that he'd be willing to walk away from the leadership at a moment's notice. And that's true. He did not want to be speaker. That wasn't his game plan. Uh, he, his, his goal was to be chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, he got there, and then right away he got pulled off into this uh, speaker uh, situation. And you're right. He, he, he did not want it. Uh, I don't think that he uh, – cared either way uh, and would today I don't think he cares either way but the truth of the matter is I, I don't think you just walk away from it you know that's uh, I don't I don't think you get your ways and means committee back I think he'd be the the man without a without a country mm-hmm. if uh, if if that were to happen so he's got he's got a lot of proving to do he's got to sort it out he, so far he's been fairly successful but uh, he hasn't had any real uh, real strong tests yet you know because Boehner gave him a gift when he left uh, with that deal right and uh, so it's going to be a while before he he has the the, the real test that, that, that will tell um, it's, it's going to be tough. The thing he's got going for him is he's smart as a whip, and, uh, and, and people listen to him uh, in, in, on mm-hmm. their side of the aisle. So hopefully he'll be persuasive enough to um, be able to accomplish some things, just basic things that keep the government running. Right. And, you know, maybe when the election's over, things might be a little bit calmer. One of the things I want to talk about, we, we talked a little bit about the divide and certainly the, the talking heads on, you know, talk radio and all of that. But there seems to be on both sides. I mean, it's represented by a lot of supporters of Bernie Sanders and, of course, you know, Trump on the other side. A lot of anger out there that's just directed towards government. A lot of it is free-floating anxiety, just a lot of, of anger and fear, which is really at the core of it. Absolutely. I, I don't know that anyone on either side of the aisle uh, really saw this coming. And I don't mean any of the party right. leaders. I just mean anybody. I, I Every day, every day, I, I talk to people in the district who say, can you believe this? Bernie Sanders is doing as well as he's doing. Donald Trump doing as well as he's doing. And so there's uh, there, there are a lot of folks who it's going to take a while before they figure it out. But uh, you're right. They, you know, they've tapped into that, that vein of, uh, of anxiety, that vein of uh, fear, that vein of anger, and uh, they're capitalizing on, on that. Uh, I'm hopeful that, um, that uh, at some point uh, pragmatism uh, kicks in and we're able to uh, figure out that we need somebody who, uh, who can't be just the candidate of the one issue or the candidate of fanning the flames of fear and we need somebody who can keep more than one ball in the air and uh, be able to make some progress on that the danger is i suppose and i had this conversation with with matt by who you know who covers politics for yahoo used to be with the new york times that the rhetoric in this campaign has gotten so over the top that it's setting kind of new standards for really lowering the dialogue. And it's, you know, once you, it's, you know, Daniel Moynihan used to call it defining deviancy downward. We're defining the language downward in a way that's going to be hard to, to move away from, even after the campaign is over. Yeah, I don't think the American people are going to put up with it. Uh, I, I don't think that's how most Americans uh, talk to their neighbors, talk to their kids. I, you know, I certainly hope not. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I think that we'll be able to, there'll be some resilience there. We'll come back to 
know where we where we need to be uh, but you know the old saying that you can disagree without being disagreeable uh, I, I think that needs to come back into play in Congress you know it's a different world in the proverbial good old, old days right. if you got elected to Congress you didn't come home every weekend you didn't come home on the on the district work periods. Uh, you came. You went to Washington. You moved your family there. Your kids went to school with your uh, colleagues' kids. Uh, your spouses uh, got together, and and your families got together for uh, for for dinner. And it was more of a uh, collegial uh, environment. And and it's if if you're breaking bread with somebody, and your kids are going to school, playing little league, you're going to church with somebody. It's a lot more difficult uh, to be ornery and uh, and cantankerous. And we got away from that. You know, they say that happened when the uh, when they introduced television to the uh, uh, to the uh, uh, chambers of, of, of Congress. But um, but money also played a part. I mean, you had huge, to be back in the district, not only doing your job, but you had to be role. back raising. Absolutely. A lot of them had to be back raising money all the time. Well, I think in the old days, um, and and I'm I'm winging it here, but I I think what used to happen was uh, if you were elected to Congress, you went to Congress and you did your job. Um, And if you didn't do your job, the people back home knew about it, and then they organized and got behind somebody else as, as a candidate. But now what happens is the parties in Washington look around, they say, okay, Jeff Sheckman, he only got uh, 54% of the vote in his, right. in his last victory, and he only has $100,000 in his campaign kitty. He's a target. I think we can go after him. So then it becomes an outside organized effort, not a district organized uh, effort. And I think that's played a big role too. I want to talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing with respect to gun violence, because it's certainly been a big part of your agenda for the past couple of years, and certainly seems to be more and more a part of of the president's agenda in in terms of what he wants to do. Talk a little bit about where that stands and and the constant shock, I suppose, at how difficult it is, even as you say, for bipartisan issues to make any progress. Well, the the way it happened was... um, Right after Sandy Hook, I was on a telephone conversation uh, with Nancy Pelosi. She had called me, and I just finished talking to a friend of mine who lives in Napa, local attorney. Uh, you know him. Your listeners know him. Uh, without clearing it with him, sure. I, I won't mention his name. Uh, fellow gun owner, fellow hunter, fellow shooter, and he had called me, and uh, he gave me a haircut. He said, "What? What in the world's going on? How can we allow this stuff to happen? You know, we're, you know, we're we're, we're gun owners. We're uh, responsible. We're reasonable. Uh, this is something's got to happen." And, and I told him, "I said, I agree with you. I, I was in a duck blind on uh, that December morning when Sandy Hook happened, and uh, so I, I am a hunter. I'm a gun owner. And when that came across on my BlackBerry, um, maybe that was a while. It was before it was before my iPhone. Uh, <laughs> when it came across on my BlackBerry, I was just stunned." The idea that someone would go into a, a grade school and kill 20 innocent children and six adults, it was just, it was sickening, gut-wrenchingly sickening to me. And um, as I said, the next day, Nancy Pelosi called me, and uh, and I told her, I said, we need to do something. I said, we need to figure this out. And, and she said, well, I've already gotten a bunch of calls from 
Democratic colleagues saying, you know, don't mess with our guns, da 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 And, you know, they, they, they're gun experts. And I said, listen, I'm as much a gun expert as any of those people. I think we should do something. And if you need my help, let me know. Uh, the next day I flew back to Washington. We had a Democratic caucus. Uh, the issue came up about uh, Sandy Hook and the tragedy. And Nancy Pelosi got up and said, we're putting together a task force on gun violence prevention. And Mike Thompson's going to be the chair. <laughs> so that's how it came about. <laughs> Uh, I had f- I had pretty much free reign how to, how to do it. Uh, I picked a group of uh, vice chairs that represented all corners of our caucus. Uh, the woman who represents Sandy Hook is on the task mm-hmm. force. Uh, at the time, John Dingle, a former NRA board member, was on the task force, and we had everybody in between. And uh, we met for months. We offered an opportunity for everybody to come in and talk to us. We talked with every hook and bullet group. We've talked to every gun rights group. We talked to every anti-gun group. We talked to law enforcement, mothers against gun violence, you name it. We, we brought them in. We had a couple of hearings, and we put together a proposal that we thought uh, would make a difference. Uh, the number one issue agreed on by everybody outside groups, everybody, and at the time, even the NRA, was to make sure that we took steps to keep guns out of the hands of criminals and the dangerously mentally ill. And the only way you can do that is by having an enforceable background check system. So uh, our, our hallmark piece of legislation was background checks for anybody who buys a gun through a commercial sale. It's not if your dad gives you a gun or your grandmother gives you a gun or if you uh, buy a gun from your hunting buddy. And every place is different. In California, any gun you buy, right. you have to go through a background check. Uh, some states, there's, the only time you get a background check is the federal minimum. And that is if you buy it through a federally licensed gun dealer. And we agreed on that. Uh, I went out and uh, I, I talked to Peter King, uh, who's a Republican from New York, who is also, at the time, was also on the Intelligence Committee with me, and uh, tough on crime, you know, a hard-charging guy. He said, I'll co-author the bill. We went out. We got, I think we had two other co-authors on the Republican side, and we had just about everybody on the Democratic side. Bill didn't go anywhere. In uh, this next Congress, this Congress that mm-hmm. we're in uh, now, uh, we kind of changed our, uh, our, our game plan. We said, we're only going to go with an equal number of co-authors on each side, and that way it doesn't look like it's going to be overly uh, Democratic, And because that was, some people were saying, well, it's a Democratic bill, that's why we're not going to take it up for a vote. So we did that, and we got we got actually got a couple of additional Republicans. We have five Republican co-authors this time. And then uh, when the next tragedy uh, came out and the next mass shooting came out, so many of my colleagues on my side of the aisle said, hey, listen, I know what you're trying to do, but we need to be on your bill. And, and so I just opened it up. Now we have, I think it's 189 co-authors, so almost 190 we have a tremendous uh, number of folks who have told me that if it comes up for a vote, uh, they'll vote for it, but they just can't co-author it in their district. That would be uh, that would be hard for them politically, which I don't understand. Ninety-three percent of the American people believe you should pass a background check before you get a gun. It's something like fifty-three percent of the people polled believe that background checks are already the law. Why such a disconnect then? 
between well, what what members of Congress yeah. think. I mean, exactly to your point, and what poll after poll after poll shows the American public thinks. I think the disconnect is uh, the folks who are opposed to any type of gun restrictions are very vocal, they're very active, and they're they're very very loud. And I think that's what folks uh, what folks hear. The truth of the matter is, the votes are there. If we brought it up for a vote, it would pass. And I know this because last year I had a hostile amendment to the appropriations bill uh, that provided more money uh, for the, uh, the the federal background check system. Uh, we increased by I think twenty one million dollars uh, the amount of money that they got. So there, because there's a whole bunch of states that just didn't have the uh, the financial ability to get the records into the system. So there, you, you had some states with three dangerously mentally ill people in the record system. And you know that's just, just not true. <laughs> not true right. So uh, I brought this thing up, and as I say, it was a hostile amendment, and it passed with 70 Republican votes. So I know the votes are there. Uh, we just need to get it up for a vote. Now, I'm not discouraged. I'm, I'm frustrated. But I remember when they did the initial Brady background check bill, it took six years and seven votes. This is our third year working on it. We've had no votes. So, you know, we've, we've, I think we've got some time to go, but we just need to keep working it, and, and we're doing that. We're, 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 I'm working with all the outside groups. I'm doing everything possible. My co-chairs are doing everything possible. And when it really came to a stalemate, and after the, you know, you fill in the blank of how many shootings we've had since, mass shootings we've had since Sandy Hook. Uh, we went to, uh, I, I led the letter, I think it was 141 signatures, uh, asking President Obama to exercise his authority under the executive order uh, to expand to the extent that he can uh, the uh, the background check effort. Has that hurt or helped the bill, the potential for the bill? Well, if you talk to some of our Republican colleagues, they'll say, well, you know, that hurts it, you know, we're not going right. to, well, they weren't doing anything anyway. You know, they were <laughs> They were hiding from this issue. Uh, they, 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 they were taking cover, and which it, it bothers me because, you know, those 20 kids in Sandy Hook, they didn't have any place to hide. Those six adults that were killed trying to provide cover to those 20 kids, they didn't have any place to hide. And here we have folks who are grown-ups, they're elected officials, and they want to take a hike. They want to hide on something that is critically important. Will it stop every mass shooting? Will it stop gun violence? No, but it's our first line of defense. It's the one thing we can do where we know it will provide some protection for some, and they're hiding on this. Given what we talked about before <clears throat> in terms of certainly Congress not changing control until 2020, you know, at the, at the earliest, 2022, Given the frustrations we've been talking about, the, the partisanship, the, the House, House, correct. Yeah. Senate, who knows? How long can you keep the frustration going? How long can you keep doing this work? Me personally? Yes. Well, you know, the other good thing about coming home every weekend is it charges my batteries. When I'm home and I'm talking to my friends and my family and my constituents and I'm going to the different events that I go to when I'm here, uh, it really it really does charge up your batteries. Uh, folks want a voice in Washington. Mm -hmm. Folks want somebody to work for them. They appreciate it, and I get a lot of encouragement. So I have no plans of going anywhere anytime soon. Well, we thank you for coming in and spending some time with us today. Congressman Mike Thompson, thank you so much. Jeff, thanks so much. Good to be here.